Hello and welcome to Music for a While. I'm Jay Nordlinger, music critic of the New Criterion, and this podcast is brought to you by Encoda, your site for sheet music. They're at encoda.com. N as in Nancy, K, O D A dot com. I'll have more to say about this excellent service later in the show. Mind if I do a little reading? I know you don't. This is the way I open my New York Chronicle for the forthcoming issue of the magazine. An evening of liturgical music was enjoyed at Alice Tully Hall. Enjoyed? In a way, yes, although this must depend on the listener. The concert was an event in Lincoln Center's White Light Festival. There were two pieces on the program and one composer, James McMillan. He is a Scotsman born in 1959. A note in our program said that Macmillan had an abrupt change of life in the late 1980s. And now I quote. He left a teaching post at Manchester University to return to his native Scotland and settled in Glasgow. There he devoted much of his energy to working with students and amateurs. Macmillan did this out of a sense of commitment motivated by his strong sense of identity as a Scotsman, a socialist, and a devout Catholic. End of quote. The first piece in the White Light concert was Miserere, composed in 2009. It lasts about 10 minutes. The second was Stabat Mater, composed in 2015, which lasts almost an hour. Both pieces were receiving their U.S. premieres. Miserere is for mixed chorus a cappella. To generalize about it, it is calm and beautiful. It seemed to me written in an attitude of prayer. We should really be in church, not in a concert hall, I thought. I also thought of something I'd written in 2015 when asked to address the basic question, how is music doing and where is it going? And this is what I wrote. Most days, I don't sweat the future of classical music, which has been sweated forever. Charles Rosen, the pianist scholar, said, the death of classical music is perhaps its oldest tradition. Music is one way in which people express themselves. It is also a way in which people praise God, and such praise has resulted in some of the greatest music. The creative instinct is unkillable. Beauty, though it may be suppressed, is unkillable, and genius will out. Right, very good. Enough talking, too much talking, Let's do some listening to The Miserere by James Macmillan. I'd like to play you the first two minutes or so, and then we'll have the last minute or so. I'll interrupt in between. Here's how the piece begins. You'll want to turn the volume way up, for the beginning is soft.
Okay, and now we'll have the ending, the last minute or so, which knocks my socks off. We have heard excerpts from Miserere by the Scottish composer James Macmillan, performed by The Sixteen, led by its founder, Harry Christophers. Yes, Christophers, with an S on the end. I'm reminded of a story, a true story. I know a writer in England who has a devilish wit. One day, he called up Robert Silvers, the venerable editor of the New York Review of Books, to pitch a piece. He began... Mr. Silver? The voice at the other end of the line said, It's Silver's. My devilish wit said, If I want to, I'll ask for them. The rest of the conversation did not go well, apparently. Let's talk in Coda. And Coda is, as I said, a site for sheet music and an excellent service. It is an app on subscription. What I mean is, you subscribe to Encoda, as you do to Netflix, Spotify, and so on. You get a bonanza, 30 million pages of digital sheet music, anything and everything under the sun. You can browse, practice, and play to your heart's content. Try it out in a free trial. Go to Encoda.com. I'll spell that as before. N is in Nancy, K is in Koala, ODA.com. Download that app for a free trial. You don't have to commit. Kick the tires and leaf through the scores. Encoda is easy, voluminous, appetizing, and gratifying. Encoda.com. And I thank them for sponsoring music for a while. Some more reading from a review I wrote at the New Criterion's website. On Saturday night, Elisa Weilerstein played the Saint-Saëns Cello Concerto No. 1 with the New York Philharmonic. I have a special memory of this concerto played by someone else, also with the Philharmonic. This other cellist was born the same year as Weilerstein, 1982. 
She is Hana Chang, and she played the Sassons in the 1998-99 season when she was 16. She was astonishing, astonishingly good. Skipping ahead here. Elisa Weilerstein played the Sassons number one with the New York Philharmonic in 2002 when she was 20. I did not attend that performance, unfortunately. It was outdoors in Valhalla, New York. One would hope that something from the ring was played on that occasion. The Sassons concerto had not again been done by the Philharmonic until last week. Do you like it? I like it, sort of. Especially the middle movement, which is a prim, fetching minuet. The outer movements are not grade A Sassons, I would say. To be sure, the concerto is in one movement. It is a through-composed thing, but there are clear movements within the movement, if you will. A cellist cannot live by the Dvorak alone, granted. The Dvorak cello concerto is the most popular cello concerto. What else do they have, cellists who solo with orchestras? They have the Baccarini concerto, and the Haydn's, and the Schumann, and the Elgar, and the Shostakovich's, and the Prokofiev Symphony Concerto, and Tchaikovsky's Rococo Variations, and that is a good handful, a mighty handful, but one could always ask for more, and the Sansons serves its purpose. In my view, the Schumann and Sansons concertos are both saved, sort of, by their middle movements. Well, them's fighting words. In any case, we're going to hear some of the Sansons Cello Concerto Number 1 in A minor, that middle section, performed by Hana Chang with the London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Mstislav Rostropovich, the greatest cellist who ever lived.
We've been listening to some of the middle section, Allegretto con Moro, of the Sansons Cello Concerto No. 1 in A minor, played by Hana Chang and the LSO, led by Rostropovich. Miss Chang at the time was 13 years old. Again, I'm Jay Nordlinger, doing some music for a while. The producer is Scott Immergut. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you may do so at iTunes, Google Play, and so forth. If you'd like to write to me, the address is nordlinger at newcriterion.com. If you'd like to receive this podcast by email, links to new episodes, let me know. I'm going to read some more from that review of the concert that featured Elisa Weilerstein in the Sansons Concerto. Here I go. There would be an encore, and I thought it might be more Sansons instead of a Bach Sarabande. A Sarabande or other slow movement by Bach is de rigueur from a violinist or cellist after a concerto, and that is an unbeatable tradition. How about the swan in some arrangement that involves orchestra? The swan is the most famous cello piece, right? Maybe? As it happened, Weilerstein played the Sarabande from Bach's Suite in E-flat, and she played it sublimely. It was a bit extended, played with, drawn out. Would she have played the Sarabande that way if she'd been playing the entire suite? If the Sarabande had been a mere movement within the whole? I don't know. Probably not. An encore is a solo piece, not a constituent. Weilerstein played some of the Sarabande in almost march-like fashion, I'm tempted to say. What I mean is, the rhythm was pronounced, bordering on jaunty. In any case, she never, ever violated taste. And she turned the hall into something like a sacred space. Unless I'm mistaken, the cello section looked on with great appreciation. I do think that's true. Okay, let's hear Elisa in that piece, that Sarabande. Here she is playing it as an encore after a concerto by Matthias Pincher earlier this year in Cologne. Of course, her interpretation here is a bit different from what she would later play in New York. That's the joy, one of them, of live performance. Thank you. 
You have heard the great Elisa Weilerstein and the Sarabande from Bach's Sweet and E-flat for unaccompanied cello. 
I'd like to read from a review of another New York Philharmonic concert. Once more, the Philharmonic had a guest conductor, and once more, he was a Finn. A fabulous Finn? Probably, yes. They grow conductors on trees over there. This one has the curious, lovely name of Santo Matias Ruvali, and he was born in 1985. Ruvali is from Lati, where his parents played in the orchestra. He is set to succeed Esapekka Salonen as the principal conductor of the Philharmonia Orchestra, London, in the 2021-22 season. Meanwhile, he is in Gothenburg, Gothenburg, and elsewhere. Forgive my pronunciations along the way, please. Rivali has great big bushy hair, and interesting hair is an asset to a conductor, although men such as Schulte have done all right with none. Rivali has a thin, lithe body, and he's enjoyable to watch on the podium. Balletic. This concert began with Tchaikovsky and ended with Sibelius. The Tchaikovsky was the Romeo and Juliet fantasy overture. And the Sibelius? It was the symphony number one, and I have to ask, do Finnish conductors conduct Sibelius because they have to, or because they want to? Some combination, I imagine. Yep, I do. All right, done reading. Let's hear the Sibelius first from the Gothenburg Symphony in Sweden, conducted by Maestro Santu Matthias Ruvali. You know I'm going to play the scherzo, don't you? The timpani pounding out that rhythm gets me every time. Can you put timpani in the singular? The timpani gets rather than the timpani get? Yeah, fielder's choice. Anyway, the scherzo.
heard the scherzo from the symphony number no. one in E minor by Jean Sibelius, conducted by Santo Matias Rivali with his Gothenburg Symphony. Esapekka Solomon once told me something interesting about Sibelius. He came from no school and he left no school. He was sui generis. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go out with Wynton Marsalis a portion of his Abyssinian Mass, which was performed recently in the White Light Festival at Lincoln Center in New York, where the Macmillan was performed, those two pieces. I'll do a little reading from my review. Marsalis composed this work in the late 2000s on commission from the Abyssinian Baptist Church, that old Harlem institution. Fats Waller played the organ there while his father preached The Abyssinian Mass has some 20 sections to which Marsalis has given various styles, jazz, gospel, and other styles. For example, I thought I heard a touch of New Orleans funeral music. If you don't like something in the Mass, wait a minute. Another section will be along soon. I especially like the Gloria Patri section. Peppy, clever, joyous. Listening to it, I thought of the Sanctus and the Verdi Requiem, which I have always considered something of a scherzo moment. A question occurred to me as I sat and listened. How much of the Abyssinian Mass is written out, note for note, and how much is riffing? How much is left to the discretion and inspiration of individual singers and players? I can't answer with confidence. I'm sure there's room for riffing. Marsala sat in the back of his orchestra, a humble member of the trumpet section. He let other trumpeters do the work, by which I mean he gave them the spotlight. But every now and then he'd pick up his own horn and blow. He still got it, and that sound is extraordinary. I may not have loved every minute of the Mass, and you may not have either, but I loved the spirit that pervaded the hall. The singers sang as if they believed what they were singing. And so on and so forth. All right, y'all, here's that Gloria Patri. I'll be seeing you soon. Thank you. And thank you, Wynton Marsalis. Oh,